This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Habitat Podcast. Jared Van Hees here with my co-host, JB. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm doing great, man. Feels good to be back in the studio. We kind of had a little holiday hiatus, if you will, but uh, we're back. What's new with you? Oh, lots of sunburn. My liver kind of hurts still. (laughs) It was a it was a good Fourth uh, of July, but um, yeah, no, I'm happy to be back, and uh, I'm actually uh, set up in my truck right now because my new house has no good rooms to record a podcast. It's all tile, <laughs> so I gotta either convert a closet or um, do something. So I'm sitting in my truck right now, which is pretty interesting. You actually sound pretty good, considering you know the the echoey tile sound that you could be dealing with so nice work we gotta see a picture of this yeah i'll, I'll send one we'll, we'll put it online it's pretty funny Heck yeah, but man. now man everything's been good here on the home front just uh working enjoying the michigan summer um went, wanted to go out and get some trail cameras on the ground and some mineral but it's just been so dang hot in the mosquitoes so i just been kind of waiting for good rain and a little cooler weather to get out. Hopefully, next week or two. Yep, it'll get some camera, cameras. But been seeing some nice velvet bucks just driving into work, and um, so that's kind of cool. Heck yeah, man! That's awesome. I only well, have uh, little baby little baby bucks on on the fifteen acres showing up. Um, need to get some cameras out at PJs where you and I hunt. 
that turned out pretty good last year when we put them out in July. So hopefully we can do the same this year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So everything good with you? Yeah, real good, man. I um, I had my three month cancer checkup yesterday and uh, passed with flying colors. So I was very excited about that. I'm still excited about that. Um, you know, you, you never know. I've never done this before, and it's the first time, and get all nervous. And I was there for like ten minutes. Like, yep, looks good. See you in three months. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> Bill your insurance a couple thousand. <laughs> yeah, really. So, no, that, that's a good weight off my shoulders. Um, been doing a little bit of habitat work. I got my my rye all mowed down. Um, it was like four or five foot tall, and my clover was growing up in there. And I, I kept thinking, I got to get this mowed. I got to get this mowed. So, finally, I did, and I'm hoping my clover will just take off now, and, uh, you know, and, and we'll see. So plugging away at things, but um, still got a lot more work to do before seasons here, which is <laughs> not very far away. Yeah, now you got that extra kid to deal with, little Easton. Is run- not well, he's not running around, but he's, uh, uh, Yeah, I forgot about that. I had a kid, too. Yep. <laughs> ah, dude, it's been so yeah. busy. I don't know if you saw, we're expecting a kid, so yeah, it's going to be a good good year. Yeah, you just announced it today on, on Facebook, right? Oh, yeah, it's official now. The world knows. Well, I told you before, but congratulations again, buddy. Yeah. But enough about us, man. Enough about us. Uh, Who we got on today? Eric from New York. So he's been one of our loyal followers and supporters from day one. Um, and, And I just... I'm friends with him on Facebook now, and you are too, and we're just kind of watching him, and he, he does a lot with a little property, so I figured, you know what, man, let's get you on here, and he was happy to oblige, so I know he had to put his kids down to bed, so he should be ready any minute now. Perfect. Well, uh, I'm excited to talk to him. I know what I saw, it looks like he shot two nice bucks last year off his property, so I'm excited to get him on the line. Yes, sir. Well, let's call him up. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was thank you to Bobby Roop and Ryan Johnson for their iTunes podcast app uh, review. They left us a couple great reviews on there, Jess, so I'm going to send them a decal. Awesome, awesome. And then we'll have to uh, get those guys a link to uh, start buying some T-shirts if they want some. Yeah, there you go. Another another new thing. Got the teachers ready too. We got to get that up online. Man, we got a lot of stuff to do. Let's. Uh, yeah. Let's it's get... summer though, you know. You got to have a little fun too. Yeah, I hear you. Well, that's that's enough about us. Like you said, let's get Eric on the line. Stand by. Sounds sounds good. All right, Eric. Welcome to the show. How do you pronounce your last name? Zelinsky. Just just like it looks. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty self, uh, pretty self-explanatory there. I mean, it was kind of tough growing up, <laughs> but now I got it. Um, how are you guys doing? We golf with good man. We we golf with a Zelinski. Is I he any good? How you pronounce it? He is good. He is good actually. <laughs> it, it's not all the Zelinskis, I'll tell you that because I, I am not good. <laughs> uh, it's been a tough year for golf. I'll, I'll just say that much. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. 
so, family, things like that. So Yeah, man. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, and thank yeah, you for having. being such a loyal follower and sending in ideas and just being a ultimate badass. That's pretty cool. So Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good having guys who are in the same mentality as I am who are just kind of, we're just having fun doing it. You know, it's not no pressure behind it, and everybody's just kind of having fun and learning from each other, and, and that's great. Well that's what said. it's about, man. Yep. yep. Well said. Well, if you want to start out, Eric, how about you uh, maybe, it's kind of, kind of my favorite part, you know, let's, let's hear about who you are, where you're from. All the the details we normally cover. Uh, feel free to go ahead and yeah, run, run yeah. with it, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, father of two boys. I got a three year old named Nolan and a one year old named Knox. Uh, engaged to my fiance Michelle. Um, Thirty four years old. I actually live in a town called Gowanda, which is about forty five minutes south of Buffalo. Um, Gowanda. I like that name. Yeah, like South um, Africa. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a Native American name. Okay. Um, I'm actually Native American. I grew up on a reservation, so when I learned how to uh, hunt by rules, it was a an eye opener. <laughs> um, but actually, one of the coolest things is is literally two blocks from my driveway is a Cataraugus Creek, which is a large tributary that dumps into Lake Erie, and it gets. I mean, people from come from Ohio all over the place to uh, for the trout run. So um, the property I own is just over nine acres, and it's uh, about twenty-five minute ride southwest from where I'm at. And it's in a oh, town called uh, no, no, it's a town called Sheridan. It's actually in another county. Um, and that Cataraugus Creek that's two blocks away. If I cross that, I'm in another county there. So I'm kind of it's called Tri County area where I'm at. So. Okay, now okay. how did you stumble across that? I thought you lived on it. No, I don't. Um, I was in the market for buying land, and I was just kind of tired of the state land game. Um, it's a big tradition to for you know opening day and opening weekend. Um, you can always tell when it's hunting season because there's a there's large state property right up the road. Pretty much for me, it's about five minute ride, and I think it's around twenty nine hundred acres. Um, the reason you can tell when opening day is coming around is the bars get full. <laughs> so, kind of got tired of that scene. Um, then wanted my own piece of property where I could kind of manipulate the ground and have some fun with it. Um, I stumbled on that property in 2015. Um, there's quite a few other properties that I kind of looked at. Um, not that there was anything wrong with them or anything different. I just, by the time I got to them, they were bought up. Um, land doesn't sit around too long around here. Um, no, no. It's it's kind of hit and miss, I guess. You know, I mean, there's been a couple properties that sit around for a year or two, and then there was one that was just posted right up the street from mine with a uh, two-acre pond, I think it was, for sixty grand for 26 acres, and that was gone in four days. Oh, so wow. That's a pretty good price right there. Yeah, I, I kind of looked at it, and I was trying to kind of convince you know, Michelle, like, hey, you know, let's go check this out. But by the time I got to it, it was already gone. So you, sh- you should probably go buy it before you actually get married. That's, that's <laughs> kind of <laughs> we. Uh, it was a funny story. We actually got engaged last September 
and I, uh, we were actually at our property. We kind of took a walk around. We had the boys with us, and uh, I got down on one knee and, and basically begged for more hunting season last year. <laughs> <laughs> she knew what she was in for, so she was she was definitely okay with it. So uh, I'm glad she's uh, got a good sense of humor. That's for sure. Yeah, see us guys, we don't we don't have prenups for money. We just have prenups that uh, let our wife know that we're going to be gone all October, and November. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So this this nine acres, I mean, um, kind of give us a little backstory on it. What does it consist of? Like, you know, is there any ag around it, or is it a lot of hardwoods? What kind of trees are on it? Any water? Yeah. So when you pull in the driveway, which is on the um, the north side, uh, the, it's actually on a dead end road, and that was the biggest attractant to it is. Very Nobody, nice. nobody's, yeah, nobody's going to really be going up there. Um, when you pull in the driveway, there's a small creek on the left side. Well, the further you go up to the back corner of the property, it's actually like a 65-foot ravine down to that creek bottom. So there's some good topography in a short amount of time. Um, it's kind of rolling hills. I, I'm not too far from Lake Erie. If you guys ever get on a map, um, you look up like Fredonia and Dunkirk in New York and, uh, Kind of zoom out, and I'm I'm not too far from there. I can actually see um, on clear days. I could see the steam uh, the steam station in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, but it's it's mostly maples, mostly uh, sugar maples, and then uh, there's been a lot of ash trees, and and I've cut quite a few of them out um, just because of the beetles are, are decimating them. The, uh, you had the ash fork go through there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, at first I was like, yeah. oh, I got nothing here. These are great-looking trees. And then a year later, nothing grew on them, and you could start seeing the pock marks on the outside of them, and you just knew they were starting to come apart. Hey, they're yeah. they're great firewood, though, man. <laughs> oh, they are. They are. They're, they're, uh, they burn hot, that's for sure. Um, but it was just a closed canopy forest when I bought it. Um, the neighbor... It actually is the one who was selling it when I talked with him, and, and he goes, well, you know, I, I don't really want to see it logged. I, I haven't logged it. So there's it's large mature forest up there, like I said, mostly maples, um, ash, some black cherry. Um, I counted maybe four oaks, one of them's producing. Um, okay. And I, found, I did find a handful of apple trees and one pear tree. So it was part of a wow. farm homestead type of thing back a long time ago, and uh, since then it's kind of the other half of it overgrew. I, I found aerial pictures from the 30s, and it was half of it at that time was a farm field. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a kind of a neat little layout. Um, in the middle of the property, there's another small stream ditch. Um, that one right now is dried out, but it's you know, 12 foot towards the road front and then towards the back of the property, it's, you know, two foot deep ditch. It's it's pretty small. And then the, uh, on the farthest west border, there's actually another small ditch that they used as a uh, runoff for the field. I actually bordered a, uh, not really an ag field, more or less just a hay field. Okay. Well, it's, it, it could be a lot worse. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the um, there used to be a lot more ag in that area. Uh, it's predominantly grape farms. There's grape farms all over. It's like wine country over there. Um, 
a lot of Welch's, Welch's grapes are up there. Um, but recently in the past year, they've put up, I can't, I lost count. There's got to be 20 different windmills up there. And they're actually across the street on the backside of my property is another township. And they've allowed okay. them to, to put in the windmills and all that stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. They're not really doing too much with, um, cutting down timber and, and removing woods as much as they are just kind of putting them in old ag fields. So it's, you know, catch 22 there. I'm sure that they're disturbing some of the stuff there, but it's not as bad as you would think. Yeah. You know, they, they've been doing that quite a bit here in Michigan, especially in the thumb where it's flatter ground. And I haven't really seen them per se cut any trees down for them. Cause I think they're kind of looking for easy access, especially, I mean, if you ever see a semi carrying one of those wings or propellers for those, I mean, those suckers are huge. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're massive. <laughs> yeah. I, I see them up there now, and it's just like, you, you kind of wonder, like, okay, how how did they build that? <laughs> you know, you see yeah. them pull them in on a semi-trucks, and the cranes are there, and, and you leave, and you come back a couple days later, and they got six of them up, and they're on the next the next roadway. Well, from, from no, what I I've heard, um, Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, I think uh, Tierra, the boat company, uh, makes them out of Holland, Michigan, like the same fiberglass, or maybe it's not fiberglass, whatever the boats are made out of. I think that they make all those blades and whatnot, yep. too. I think you're correct, and, you know, it's funny because the first time I ever saw one, I was riding my Harley out to South Dakota with my brother to Sturgis, and we pulled off at, like, midnight and slept under a bridge. This is when we were younger and didn't mind sleeping under bridges. <laughs> yeah. But hey, we're, sitting there, we're sitting there having a beer, and I'm like, dude, what are all these blinking lights around us? Like, it was really trippy. It almost just looked like UFOs. And then we wake up, and there was literally so many windmills. To I mean, as far as you could see, it was really cool. But that was my first experience seeing them. That is pretty awesome. <laughs> But what, no, what that. was in the beer? What was in the beer? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knows? We were pretty wild back then. So, but yeah. So now, Eric, were you involved in Habitat before this property, or did kind of when you bought this property, did it kind of <laughs> spark your interest in doing deer habitat? I mean, how did you get into Habitat? Well, I first kind of got into it. Um, like I said, I grew up as a on a, on a Seneca Indian reservation and. There isn't, per se, any hunting rules. I mean, people went out and spotted deer. People would go out and spear fish. It was a free-for-all, and I see its advantage, I see its disadvantage. You know, and, but if you're trying to manage for deer and you got guys jack-lighting deer out of your backyard, it's a little tough to, uh, to grow anything decent. But my family owned a small strip of property along a small creek, um, probably about seven, eight acres, um, small little ravine in it. And that's where I kind of learned how to start looking at tracks, figuring out travel patterns, trying to figure out, um, little small funnels. There was a couple ag fields, try to find out which way they were crossing the creek. And basically I was cutting them off and, and being successful at it. Um, kind of made some trails in there with, uh, with a four wheeler and, and, gave them a path to walk on to bring them closer to where I could get uh, a 
either a bow or a gunshot off at them. Um, and doing that before they ever went out to the fields. Now, the, the nice thing was about them being kind of, you know, they were being poached, but they would hang in the woods till it was pitch black. So you would yeah. you'd get in there and you had a, a plenty of time to, to get a good shot off. And I think that's what kind of got my interest going was I've got all these poachers around me and I'm able to see multiple deer, and I actually harvested quite a few off that small piece of property. Um, a nice nine-pointer, a couple, couple, couple nice bucks off of it. Um, and, and then when I finally was able to buy my own piece of property, I'm like, now I don't have to worry about that garbage anymore. Of just, you know, people come, you know, there, there's different rules where I grew up. There is no, if you're a native, you are not, a, you know, you could walk wherever you want. There's no no trespassing. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So you'd be you'd be up there hunting, and you think you're on your property, and you think you're all set, and here comes a group of four wheelers riding up the creek bank, and it's it made it interesting. <laughs> so when I got my own property, that was kind of my plan was to. Uh, just try to manipulate it the way I did there. Like I said, I noticed when I would create a four-wheeler trail, it gave them a path to walk, they would walk it, and it gave me opportunities to hunt them. Where if I didn't do that, they were kind of just walking the creek bank till they got to a thin spot between the creek and the corner of an ag field. Yep. No, that makes so, sense. So I was able to kind sure. of steer, steer them around. Now, quickly though, like when you were on the reserve, I mean, yeah, I'm interested in hearing more about how many the reserve. This is yeah. awesome. <laughs> I know, like, how many deer would like say how many deer per family would people harvest? And, how, and how big is this reserve, like acres wise? Uh geez, acres wise, it is actually one of the larger ones in Western New York. It is the entire Seneca Nation. Um, not well, not entire. There is also Salamanca, and there's also one up in uh, Niagara Falls area. But it, the one I grew up on, I think, was one of the larger ones. Um, and you, people you'd see would have one deer, two deer, and that would you know that would be there, and what they would they'd eat it and they'd do whatever they had to do. Um, but then yep. you'd have some guys who were just like out there and hey, we're we're having fun. We're going to go hop in the truck with a spotlight and. You know, and they'd just be terrorizing the woods, terrorizing the fields. Um, they they actually did finally start putting a stop to a lot of that in the more recent years. They actually developed a uh, a, a game warden. Um, they've got they finally started getting their stuff together down there with a lot of it because some of it was getting ridiculous and and a little dangerous. Um, as it's becoming more po- more populated, and guys are taking thirty out sixes out of the back of a truck and oh, shooting deer across the field, it's a little dangerous. So, yeah, I tell you what, if I was eighteen and me and my buddies could hop in my back of my truck and go spotlighting, and it probably would have sounded like a good idea back then. <laughs> it did, it did, and it had its appeal to it. And uh, like I said, that was it. Grows old when you're when you start looking at okay, well. I'm kind of tired of shooting four pointers and five pointers and and spikes and a couple doe, you know, and, and be able to where I was at to be able to harvest a, a seven or eight point deer at that point was was huge. Um, nobody was really doing anything like that. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the like you went through um, 
what a lot of hunters go through in that natural progression of, I don't know what step one is, just to shoot a deer, and then step two, I think they say, I shoot a lot of deer, and then, you know, you start to evolve more as a hunter and want want the next most challenging thing, which it sounds exactly like the, the steps you were taking. Yeah, I think we just had, I, I think I had to take them a little bit more drastic than most people, because like I said, it was, yeah. go, you know, harvesting deer normal, that was unheard of. What do you mean you're going out there with a bow? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, it's, uh, it was interesting, like I said, and uh, I, I did do quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of hunting down there for my years growing up. Um, but once I moved off there and, and was able to get my own property, I, I wanted to do my own thing with it, um, and, and just kind of you know police it. Who who's up there is people I want up there, not just anybody can go through it. You know what? I think that's probably the single most driving factor of me wanting my own piece too. Um, and Jesse can probably agree. I mean. Jesse and I have shared hunting property, not just with each other, but with other people for, I don't know, as long as we know, and, you know, you got this good buck on camera, everything's looking good, and then Joe Blow shows up 45 minutes after daylight, walks right through all the main thicket to his upwind stand, and it's just... Smoking a cigarette the whole way, uh, and... Yeah. Yeah. I got that, Uncle. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, hey, so do I. Yeah, and, I was gonna say you just wrapped up my uh, 2017 season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that is true. Um, and and yeah, I mean that's that's what we all we all dealt with or are still dealing with. I don't have uh, a lot of trespassing issues. Do you have any trespassing issues that you know of? Not that I've noticed. Uh, I do got some cameras out there. At one time, I did have, like, the neighbor's son try riding his four-wheeler up, but I put a gate across the driveway, and that stopped that pretty quick. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, and I did, um, like I said, I'm not up at the property 24-7 to police it. If somebody goes up there, I, I hope they don't, but there's nothing really I can do. But I did put, um, you know, my post-it signs I put up, and, you know, I just wrote my phone number on there. I wrote my name and my phone number, so I figured, well, if somebody's going to go up there, at least they can maybe get a hold of me. You know, if somebody shot a deer and the thing ran onto my side, you know, a courtesy call would be nice. So, yeah. Um, talking with a couple of the neighbors up there, some of them seem, you know, two of them, th- three or four of them, three for sure, possibly four of my bordering neighbors all hunt up there. Um Two of them have ground blinds or tree stands within 25 yards of my borders. Um, the one, he's got a tower blind. You can see it from satellite imagery. I mean, this thing is massive. And he's, like I said, probably about 25 yards off my property line. Oh, um, man. It's, it is what it it's is. Legal. He actually, I, I mean, it's legal, I it, guess. Yeah, so. it, yeah he's doing everything. He, yeah, exactly. Well, I blocked him off. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. We're going to get into that. Yep. Yeah, but, um, you know, he was doing his thing. Uh, I talked with him. He's actually retired. All he did was bow hunt, so he seemed like a pretty harmless guy. Um, the other neighbor, like I said, his kid's a little younger, wants to get out there. He's at that progression of in his hunting stage where he just wants to shoot deer. Um, brown, brown and down, and, and that's his. That's where he's at, and that's fine, you know, if that's, if that's what he's into doing. But you know, I, I'd like to try to at least try to grow some three and a half to older deer. Um, the jump to go from two and a half to three and a half is there's not a lot of deer that make it in my area. 
Um, so it, it, to do that, to be able to see them, keep them, have them coming through the property occasionally, uh, that'd be huge, you know. And that's kind of where I'm at in my my hunting stage is just going for a more mature buck. It's a it's a totally different animal than a two year old. Yep, yes, that it is, is true. And Justy and I have the same type of issues, which is why I think uh, you know we all kind of relate with each other. At least a lot of our listeners and people we've had on here. I mean, hunting, hunting pressure is tough in New York and Michigan and PA and parts of Ohio and and. Uh, it, Three-and-a-half-year-old, we might get one shot at a three-and-a-half-year-old a year. That's if we even see one. It's not like um, our buddy Rick, who, you know, that lucky guy saw, I don't know what he said in the podcast, like 13 or something last year. Was so I was like, wow, man, yeah. you know. Yeah, I've, yeah I, uh, I visited that property, and it's amazing. Oh, I was you actually, really? you, you're talking about uh, Rick Yagi? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, we went down, uh, he had a habitat day at his property, and I went just because it is completely 180 of what I hunt. When when he said he's got hills, he's got hills. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me to walk up them. <laughs> you know, he's got, you know, if we didn't have a four-wheeler in his, uh, his side-by-side, there's some spots where it's like it would take you hours to get where it takes you a, a half an hour to drive around on it, and, uh, the topography's got a lot to do with it, and, and he's just got a lot of uh, lot of interesting. I mean, tree species I don't even have. You know, chestnut oaks and striped maples, and, and just quite a bit of diversity compared to what I have. So his hunting is almost one eighty of what I'm at. Right, <clears throat> right. All right. Well, I think you painted a pretty good picture so far. Um, thank you for that. I want to get into the nitty-gritty now. Tell us about, I don't know, your, your habitat goals, um, your habitat plan. I'd be curious to know how you came up with that. Uh, and maybe just a quick shape of your property. Is it is it a rectangle? or? I mean, ju- just so it helps explain the, the plan, yeah, if yeah. you will. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty rectangular-shaped. Um, there's a little spur that kind of cuts off, but it's maybe... 10 large maple trees, it's really nothing much. Uh, I, I'm not even sure why it's actually considered even part of my property because it's this backside of this, this field. Um, but anyway, I own it, and that's great. <laughs> um, so my, my habitat goals is just to keep some of the deer on my property for as long as I can to get them to the next stage in their life, to keep me moving forward in my hunting progression, to allow them to mature a little bit and uh and just to enjoy them i mean my son he's uh three and a half now and and he goes up there with me all the time and you know he'll he'll sneak down and be quiet and he's looking for deer and he's getting down he tracks you know he'll scream out when he sees a deer track and stuff so it's it's awesome you know we get to to just enjoy the property and we see deer i'd say almost every walk that we do now and uh it's something he enjoys something i enjoy so i I'm happy about that, where it's at now, but like I said, it would just be to, the goal would be just to keep them coming back, and have frequent visitors, um, gear that I can pattern, and be able to let them say, alright, well I'm going to let him go till next year, he'll come back, he knows this area, so. Um, yeah, and there's, there's, 
there's something to say too about that, like bringing your kids out. Cause you know, I know some guys who are so serious where they won't even let their kids go out there in the summer and run around. And, but I think you're doing it right, man. It's awesome to get the kids out there and involved and, and just use the property for what it's intended for, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of guys who go, Oh, well, I don't go in my woods and I don't do this. And I, and I try to stay out of them. And it's like, I, I know a lot of, you know, parks in the area that have deer just constantly around people. They get used to it. If you're up there, they smell you, they, they hear certain noises. And I think that, you know, that goes even in the rural areas where, you know, they see a farmer on his tractor and they just kind of just keep beating away, you know. So I try to keep them, you know, we, we go up there and we have fun. And we don't, it's not just a strictly hunting property. I, I wish I could afford that, but with two kids and, Everything else, it's a little tough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that, no, that sounds, I, I mean, you're making me smile just listening to you tell about your boy finding deer tracks and screaming out loud after he's trying to be stealth. I love that. It's hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's great. Can't wait and to then, uh, stuff. he was in the dinosaur kick and, and, uh, there was one year he was picking up these big rocks, and he's like, look, dinosaur rock. Well, I'm over there, and I'm pushing him off the trail, and I wasn't really paying attention. And he threw this probably three-inch-tall boulder in the middle of a trail that I was walking up, you know, and pitch dark out in the middle of the morning, you know, just kind of sneaking up through this trail, and I stepped on that thing, and a, and a buck fell over. I mean, it was just tripped, fell, made all kinds of noise, crashed off the trail. I'm like, thanks, thanks, bud. <laughs> so I'll have to, I'll have definitely have to foil one of his hunts when he's older for sure for that one. Oh, plenty of use for that. All right, so what oh, about yeah. your um, your plan? How'd you come up with it? Kind of, kind of, I always use the term paint us a picture, but I mean, do you have right, like right. Uh, cover in the middle, food on the outside, um, I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, no, I'll be. Yeah, there's no. It, it's not a cookie cutter plan for at all. Um, oh, cool. When I first bought the property, you know, it's 2015 hunting season. Um, I went up there opening day of gun season, all excited, got my first property. Um, the neighbor across the street from me on the dead end, he owns 40 acres. So I talked with him. He doesn't hunt. His son hunts. Uh, he goes, Yeah, my brother might step up. My son in law might come. Okay, well, it's opening day. Yeah, three people for 40 acres, not bad. Two truckloads of guys show up, and they just start jumping out of these cars, and they're blaze orange, and it's like, I feel like I'm back at Stateland. You know, and it kind of discouraged me a little bit, but I actually went in my tree stand, um, and I saw the best show of my life with a box, with two bucks and a doe. Uh, he actually had come in, and I was able to take a shot, I was thinking I was too excited from the show. I actually missed the first shot. He stopped closer at 10 yards, and I shot again, and, and he just pretty much fell right over in his tracks. Uh, he's a nine-point with a split G2. Oh, man. Um, first year off the property, I mean, I'm. it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and I'm dragging my deer back out of the woods, and, oh, we didn't even see anything. Like, I had a great morning. You know, it, was, it was phenomenal. So I kind of continued hunting that year. Uh, I did fill up my buck tag. Um, I had a doe tag, but it was just kind of like, I want to see the lay of the land. I, I mostly did a lot of scouting. Um, when I closed on the property to when I was able to get up there to start hunting and, you know, I kind of hung a tree stand up in the last couple of weeks, uh, before 
uh, gun season. It was actually during archery season. I was up there hanging stands. Um, not the ideal situation, but to be able to pull that off, I thought was amazing. Um, so I just kind of monitored deer and watched them. I walked around the property. I found some apple trees. I found a, a producing oak tree. Um, just kind of got the lay of the land of things. Um, and the following year, I came out there, and I said, well, I'm going to make a trail that kind of goes by these apple trees. And there was, an, uh, at one point, like an old roadway or lo logging road type thing. Um, there was an old cabin at the property at one point. We got rid of that. Um, this roadway kind of went by it, and a couple hundred yards from that roadway was these uh, apple trees. So I kind of made a four-wheeler trail in there. And there was no straight path to get to it. It was kind of curvy. It was... Uh, couple of ravines, some larger, um, you know, black locust trees and, and things I really didn't want to cut down because, like I said, the neighbor at the time was kind of saying he, he has, was hesitant to sell the property. He didn't want loggers in there, just kind of logging it out. Um, so the first year I was kind of hesitant. I just kind of made some, some four-wheeler trails in there. Um, and then that year I shot a basket seven-pointer. Um, Michelle was pregnant with her second son. And she texted me. That was opening day also of gun season. And I, here I am thinking I'm going to get this awesome buck again and see this great show and all stuff. And she texted me and she says, you coming home yet? You know, our, our son at the time was uh, one and a half. And he was, you know, you know how one and a half year olds are. So she's pregnant with a one and a half year old at home. So I kind of put the phone back in my pocket and act like I didn't read it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, uh, you know, I've never done that. Yeah, no, no, no. Nobody ever does that, you know. So now I start feeling guilty. Like, what am I doing in the woods? Yeah. I, you know, priorities here. Let's start getting stuff together. So I stand up. I turn around. Basket seven pointer comes up, and I took him. And it was just one of those. And I was still proud of it. I said, like, second year, second buck, not a bad thing. Um. Yeah. So from that year to 2016, 2017, I really went in there. Um. I sold my Harley, Jesse. I never made it to Sturgis. Um, no, I so, sold mine too, man. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> I ended up buying a four-wheeler. Um, Dude, you guys sound nope. so freaking sad when you both said that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is, it's, uh, ooh, you know why a dog smile when they got their head out the window? Uh, the biker feels the same thing. So, ah, there you, go. <laughs> you, you know, and it was like one of those things, and it's like, well, all right, I'll sell the Harley. I'll buy the quad. Yeah, I was able to convince her to buy the quad because it came with a plow for the driveway. I think I've only used it for the driveway a handful of times. Um, you know, I bought a ground You sold your Harley and bought something cool. I sold mine and paid my student loans off. Yeah, yeah, you'll have that. <laughs> the priorities, you know. Yeah, priorities when you get older, right? The things that you look forward to, like naps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I sold the Harley, bought the four wheeler, um, and I really started looking at it. Okay. Well, I kind of like that groundhog max idea. That thing seems pretty cool. So I bought one of them. Um, then I bought a, uh, a tip tine rake just for kind of clearing leaf clutter and I went out and cut down a few trees and, and made a pretty good sized food plot, which I thought was pretty good. Um, made open a couple, found a couple open areas, um, Planted a couple small food plots in there. Uh, I think that one was buckwheat and winter rye. 
and uh, Australian winter pea. The other one was a, uh, a biologic blend. Um, might have been outfitter blend, to be honest with you. Uh, I just kind of pinned those on each backside of my property. One one was on the west, one was on the east. I had a connecting trail in between them, and I put up a, a stand or two and uh, just kind of hunted one trail. And it was amazing the deer that I seen that were just utilizing this one trail. Um, so I started kind of like reading into things. Um, uh, Steve Bartella talks about it in a couple of his podcasts, or not a podcast, but uh, yeah, he talks about the podcast too, but he makes a perimeter trail so that his scent blows into his neighbors and he plays that scent, well he plays the wind to keep his scent away from his property. Um, so I went in and I kind of cleared out a perimeter trail and uh, I said, well hey, it'd be kind of cool if I connected this trail over to that pear tree. And I started doing that or you know, it'd be cool to go maybe next to these oaks that are over here. And just kind of kept going out and making little trails here and there. And um, it's it's really stopped the deer from just using my property as a pass-through. Uh, the first year I bought it, I, it, when it snowed, I was up there, and, and the deer were just using a diagonal path from one corner of my property to the other. So I kind of blocked them off from doing that. And now they have to, well, they don't have to, but they, they go around these perimeter trails they stay on some of my other trails they've got you know water holes and licking branches and mock scrapes things like that to keep them occupied uh so it, it makes for an interesting hunt because you know kind of where they're going to come from or where they're going to go to so you could kind of set up on that depending on the time of year and the wind and, and things like that okay <clears throat> so they're kind of like um you're trying to get the deer to spend more time on your property, per se, before he walks over to your neighbors, right? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, when I first bought it, it was a, a large standing timber, and uh, it would take them probably three minutes to cross my property. Yeah. And now they've, now they've got these trails, and they're, they think the longest straight run is maybe 40 yards. And, and I kind of weave these trails back and forth. I, I come back and move forward a little bit. It's just kind of a... I got the inspiration probably from uh, my three-year-old's play train set. He just, you know, curves all over the place, up the hill, down the hill. Uh, so it's it kind of looks like that from above. Um, I made little spurs off of it with other food plots, things like that. And, and what, is, of, what does that mean exactly? Like, uh, what, what part? like a spur. Like, what do you mean by that exactly? Like, it's just, it, it comes off the... So, what I had is I had um, the neighboring properties are at the corner, and close to that neighboring property, I've got the apple trees. Well, I want to attract the deer to the apple trees, but I want to keep them on my side. So I cut down a handful of ash trees, and I laid the tops down a hinge cut over them between the apple trees and that neighbor. And they were still kind of cutting through there. So about 60 yards further in towards this, uh, this hay field, I cut down a handful of trees. I, I made a pathway that kind of leads out to the, the edge row, and I threw in a food plot. And that's brought the deer now 60 yards further down, away from that neighbor's, you know, hunting stand, and takes them down my four-wheeler path right to the apples. So, awesome. you know, even if even if I'm not hunting there, they're still using that path. They're, they're you know, this is what they're choosing to do in summer months, you know, so it's... It's only going to help it when I think they uh, they get any pressure. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, that that explained it. Now, these paths are you are you mowing them? Um, how wide are they? And like, why does a deer want to walk down the path? Is, is the rest of your property so thick that they kind of take the path of least resistance? Um, or, or I, or, I actually think you know I, I, mean? I think yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, it's it's the width of my four wheeler. Um, for the most part. There are some areas that I went in and clear cut and then hinge cut the area, you know, around it. Uh, so it's all natural forbs growing up. Um, I listened to a couple guys. I, I planted some clover kickery mixes along the sides of some of the paths in there. Um, they mostly stick to the paths because that's actually thicker cover that's growing up around these four-wheeler paths than what's actually in the center edges of my property, which is that still standing large timber. Because the sunlight so getting to it, right? Yep, exactly, exactly. So it's it's opened up the sunlight, opened up the canopy. Um, one of the best tools I used for that because it was such a closed canopy was the uh, Habitat Hook by Nick Nation. Um, I called, actually got on Facebook with him, and and he made me one up, and and it was great because, uh, like I said, it's grape country, so some of these grapes are growing wild all over the place, but the treetops are just interwoven with each other. So trying to to make any kind of uh, headway in there was almost impossible without being able to pull them down. Okay. Um, but opening up these trails, they, uh, some of them get maybe 20 yards across, and I keep the four-wheeler tight either to the inside or the outside. I go in there, I spray that trail with uh, uh, glyphosate, um, keep it mowed pretty well. Um, not too much really grows up there once you spray it with the glide. Uh, I'm super allergic to poison ivy. That's why I glide it. <laughs> so I'm like, well, if it ain't growing here, I can walk through here. So, um, you know, like I said, we use the property all year round. Me and my boy, we go up there. We walk the paths. We check trail cameras. We, we have fun up there. We play in the creeks. Um, but then come hunting season, um, I've got a different approach um, using some of the creek bottoms. Like I said I got one on the... Uh, one on the east, one in the middle, and one on the west side of my property. Um, they range from three feet deep to 65 feet in an uh, elevation change. And I, I use them basically to get into my property. And I can either go, okay, well, I'm going to go to the, the left side, the center, or the right. And uh, sometimes I have to cross these paths and things like that, but I'm pretty adamant on my stunt control of... of and, and making sure that my path is as direct as possible to my tree stands. Okay. So well, that's kind of nice to have those creeks right there to use. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of talked with a couple people, and, and, you know, I'm really having a, a hard time figuring out access to this property. I'm not sure how to to get to it, and a couple people said, well, you use a creek bottom, and you could sneak right up there. And they like said, it's not very wide, but it's 65 feet deep, so it is a bit of a hike to get up there when you're carrying a bow or anything like that, but I keep them raked. Um, I keep them pretty well cleaned up, and they're actually not too terribly bad when you when you got to use them to get up to an area. Oh, very cool. I, I, no, it sounds like you um, have, like, a perfect access set up. Now, when you're going up there, how do these paths relate to the deer smelling where you walked in, and then um, how do you 
how did you not walk down the the path that goes right to your tree stand from your other paths? How do you keep them from doing that? Well, I kind of keep the I keep it overhead cover. I keep it, you know, there, like I said, it's um, one of the trees that grow up there is um, uh, hawthorn trees. The they got like a little crab apple, but they got really sharp thorns on them. Yep. And I'll actually like trim a small pathway underneath them about, you know, where I'm sneaking kind of with my head down and, and get in, and it's a, like I said, it's a direct path, maybe uh, 20 feet off the trail that I'll get to that. And the deer really don't travel down there. It's only, I think the width of my rake is 16 inches. So I mean, I'm keeping that path groomed, but it's kind of narrow or anything with any rack or a doe family group that wants to stay together. It really isn't going to take this tight path to get to a stand um and they're, they're pretty short and they go to a tree it's nothing really attractive for the deer where okay. i've got my full of trails that are full of native forbs uh just a ton of natural uh habitat that's growing in it's thicker now i've gotten uh, just all kinds of stuff popping up raspberry bush and stuff like that are growing in there and uh it, it really doesn't give them much of a reason to go down this little path that that goes to a tree you know Oh yeah, okay. Good answer. Um, the for my boots, I, I use uh, zeolite and activated carbon. I also keep them on a boot dryer. So as soon as I get out of the stand, I put them in a uh, tote, bring them home, put them in my garage, and they're in a uh, scent-controlled room. I've got uh, ozonics in it. Um, it's not really a room. I bought a rubber-made closet basically from Home Depot and a uh, ozone generator from Amazon, but. Uh, after having it this once, it's, it's something that I definitely swear by. Well, sir, we're going to need pictures of that um, right away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that, um, that sounds awesome. Um, one of the guys are trying to get on the podcast, um, Jim Broker. I don't know if you've heard of him. Oh, um, yeah, yep. Yeah, okay. So he, he does the same thing with the, the Z-Lite and the activated carbon, and, you know, I've always, I've never gone through the steps yet to do that, but my access is kind of out of the deer's way, but it, I need to be doing that. So I always wonder, do the deer smell you at all? Maybe 10% of the time, or are you just, you're good? Well, I think, I think that a huge part of it has to play with the fact that me and my son, we use that as our, our skate place. You know, my, mom's home with them and she's got to work or something, hey, let's go up to the woods. Let's go check some cameras out. So I'll, I'll bring both my boys with me. Uh, I'll, I'll use, like, a backpack carrier and carry the, the little guy around. And the old kid, he's just, he runs the trails, and he's, you know, 40 yards in front of me going, i got to go this way. you got to come this way. So it, I think that they're used to our scent up there so much. Um, usually, like I said, I, probably 1st of September, we don't go up there. I do give them that break to get you know they go to hard horn they've got a lot of changes going on uh the bucks are starting to break up out of their uh out of their bachelor groups things like that are starting to happen so i do give them their space for doing that i don't want to really want to push them around too much um but in the summertime i mean we're up there almost every, at least once or twice a week so i think they get acclimated to that scent um, but when I use my scent control, I think that they still smell me. I think that they just think that it's from last time I was there or I'm over on another trail or, or yep. just 200 yards so away. I, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think I can 
I, I don't remember where I read, but I, I thought I remember hearing that, like, a deer's sensitivity in their nose is, like, a thousand times better than what we have. And what we can see is what they can smell. <clears throat> yeah, and, uh, you know, that all makes perfect sense. I, I didn't know if they could still smell you at all. I, I figure nothing is 100% bulletproof, but, you know, all the extra work you're going through is definitely paying off. And uh, I think... Uh, a little bit different situation, but I think Lee Lukoski said that on on Wired to Hunt one time about how he tries to condition his deer to to smell him, um, you know, regularly, if you will. So then, when he's in the stand and he's covered up in his scent lock or whatever sponsor they have that year, then you're, you know, the the deer. Okay, well, there's Lee or there's Eric, and he was here last week, so I still smell him a little bit. But and really, you're 20 yards away in, in a tree stand with your bow drawn, you know, so that's, uh... Right, yeah. No, I like that. I, uh, I like that. I'm gonna have to check that zeolite stuff out for sure. Like I said, if the, if the uh, if Michelle didn't have, uh, Amazon Prime, uh, <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, the activated carbon, all that stuff that I found, it was just right on there. I bought my ozone generator on there. Um, <clears throat> you guys know, getting any kids together to go on any kind of small trip, it's, uh, you gotta pick your battles and which ones are worth it. So oh, yeah. I, I, I go, I really don't know where I'm gonna go buy Zeolite around here, so. <laughs> but I know Amazon probably has it. <clears throat> oh, heck yeah. So, well, I'm gonna be asking Eric, for some part numbers here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. Now, Eric, on your sits there, are, I mean, are you seeing deer every sit, or, I mean, how, how does, how does that look like? Um, I can't remember. There are times where I've had to sit and, and not seen deer, and either it's because I did something stupid and went off my path and kind of was scouting around like, yeah, I'm, I'm easily distracted. So if I'm walking down my path and all of a sudden I see a nice buck rub, i got to go check it out. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, look, squirrel, you know. Um, <laughs> but the um, there has been times where, you know, bad weather, things like that, I, I I work, I'm a, I'm a construction foreman for a steam fitter union, um, so I work, you know, Monday through Friday, so my, my hunting time is Saturday and Sunday, and it's usually only in the mornings, um, sometimes I get some afternoons in there, uh, so it, it really, regardless of the weather, I'm, I'm going to go try to kill something if it's hunting season, and I feel like, uh, you, you get the feeling of, well, maybe something's walking by my stand right now, and I'm going to go check it out, so... You know, I'm sure that there's times where I've probably blown a spot up, but like I said, I think with getting my scent control down um, and just kind of having these these paths where deer just kind of meander through my property without really having to go off my property for cover, they they find that it's uh, I I find that it's it's I see more deer for sure. I mean, I've gone there and. Uh, you know, just sat for a few hours and see five or six deer. Um, and then, like I said, there's been a, few, a handful of times where I sit and I, I might not see anything, but it's probably something something more that I did. Well, you're doing something right. Cause, I mean, nine acres, you know, it's, it's not a huge track. I have a 15 up north, and Jared has a 15, so I can relate to hunting nine acres. And, I mean, if you're seeing deer, you know, let's say one out of three times, I mean, I mean, that, that, that's better than some of my big pieces I hunt, you know? Well, that was it. I mean, I looked at, um, 
they're called uh, WMUs or Wildlife Management Units, and and I look at harvest reports from the years previous, and you look at okay, there's uh, you know six point five bucks killed in this area, and it might be six hundred square miles, and you go okay, well there's six hundred and forty you know acres in a square mile. I own nine of that, so I should be seeing point zero 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 four percent of the you know, and I I break it down like that, and I'm like, well, if I see one, that's a great day. That's a great season right there. So. Um, yeah, just you know, way to look at. It. Yeah, I, I, I'm a numbers kind of guy, and if I can pick it apart like that, and it's, uh, and I go, well, geez, I'm, I guess I am doing something pretty good here. All right, now so. we we haven't dove into food plots at all. Um, your food plots on Facebook look excellent, by the way. Um, Thank you. But we seem to talk about that a ton, and if there's anything you want to mention about food plots, please do so. But I wanted to get into the sort of um, areas that you that you cut, how you're trying to block your neighbor, uh, what kind of... I mean, you, it's kind of a food plot, if you will, with, with the native stuff, but uh, maybe you can tell us a little more about what you're doing with your chainsaw and, and how that's working for both uh, food, bedding, and maybe even blocking your neighbors off. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, um, as for bedding, I went up there the last season. I thought I made some really awesome-looking bedding areas, and I went up there in the snow and see where they're bedding, and they're nowhere near kind of where I was. Um, they were just kind of out in the, the open. I think they were kind of using the topography for themselves. Um, they were up against an area that I thought they would have been in, but instead they were kind of on the outskirts of it, looking down in uh, in some of the hill valleys. Um so what I did is I had all these ash trees that were dying out. Um, I wanted to get in there and cut them down before they became a nuisance tree and they're just falling wherever they please. So I was able to drop them, uh, get them out of there. The tops are pretty brittle and they're pretty thin on those ash trees. But I took them, I cut them up, I dragged them over to my borders where I've got some hunting stands that are relatively close. Uh, hinge cut maples on top of them. Um, and just really thickened it up. And then where I wanted the deer to go is where I would plant some food plots. Um, I planted Northridge Wildlife Forge uh, Monster Clover in there, and it's about seven inches tall last time I went there, and it's the first year planting it. Oh, wow. So, I, yeah, I was real impressed with that stuff. I, uh, I ended up calling Teddy up and getting a couple more bags of stuff for uh, fall blends. Um, one that he's got, I think, is uh, Forge Greens and a, uh, another one that I'm going to try this year. Um, but really, the food plots that I have are small. They're not no destination food plots. They're a small strip or, a, you know, maybe a, a 20 foot wide or 15 foot wide by 50 foot little cutaway that I made. Uh, hinge cut the sides and just kind of let it thicken up with natural browse and give them a, something a little sweet to eat while they're in there. Uh, like I said, it's kind of like a runway strip. It gets them off of where they would normally want to travel and puts them where I would want them to travel. So that kind of worked out for that area. Um, also in there, we, uh, me and my boy, we decided, well, I decided and he came up and played dirt, but we planted quite a few trees. Um, Allegheny chinapin chestnuts, uh, a couple Dunstan chestnuts, um, some hazelnuts, and, oh, what's the other one? A dwarf chestnut oak. Oh, and wow. they seem to be doing, they seem to be doing pretty well. Um, we've been 
pruning our fruit trees, keeping up with them. Um, I'm not sure what kind of fruit we're going to get on them this year because uh, our winter here lasted forever, it seemed like. I don't know what it was like out there for you guys, but for here it was like... Same, yeah. Yeah, like, wow, it's May, and we got a foot of snow. Thanks. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so... I think the apples aren't going to be there, but I think that with what I'm planting in food plots and other things, um, I think that they should have plenty to, to munch on this, this fall. Very nice. What was some of the, yeah, what was this? Yeah, no, you're good. Uh, I was just thinking oh. in terms of, um, you mentioned earlier how you would block your neighbor off with with some of those, and, and you did kind of talk about it a little bit, but maybe you can hit that again okay. for us on on how that works in your advantage, both for food and for maybe more security cover? Yeah, I really didn't do it so much for food. Um, like I said, they, there's so many maples up there, and I've got so many thousands of sprouts up there, and, and I hear a lot of guys, oh, that's like deer candy. Well, I think when it becomes a monoculture, they're just kind of sick of it, so they don't really browse on the maples a whole lot. Uh, I've tried doing these uh, the mineral stumps where you cut them off and the new shoots come off. Uh, they yeah, might touch them a little. They might touch them a little bit, but I, I'm not sure if they're not into sugar maple. I don't. You know, I'm not sure what their preferred maple is, but I don't think it's mine. <laughs> uh, they. I, I was. I went up there and I'm like, all right, I'm going to cut down maybe 20 of these little maple trees and let's see what they do. And I got, you know, all these little maple trees that are growing back up again. So they really didn't browse them down like I thought. Um, but I did stack all this tin, you know, these treetops, and uh, just kind of a row. I, I don't really know how deep it is. I mean, it's I took treetops that were 12, 15 feet long and drag them over and put them over on the other side of my four-wheeler trail between my property and the neighbors on my side. And then uh, after the pile got up, you know, a couple feet high, I moved it down a little bit and eventually built this wall. And then what I did is I laid a couple of the maples, I hinge cut them and, and dragged them down with the habitat hook. And uh, it's really growing over in them. Um, plus with the sunlight that's coming in out of that four-wheeler trail that's a little wider now, there's there's more just a wall of green. So they, they really don't go through from that neighbor onto my property. So they really don't have a, a reason to pass by his stand as much as go around use one of these food plot entrances that's a little spur off of my four-wheeler trail. And, hey, while we're on this trail, there's a scrape, and a little further up is an apple tree, and a little further up is another scrape, and a water hole, and another food plot. And it just kind of kind of bounces them around. It's nothing that's going to sustain them for a whole, you know, that they're going to live only on my nine acres. But it's something that I've, I've had bucks come in, and they're repeat bucks, and I've had, you know, opportunities to harvest repeat bucks. And, uh... It's just it's it's working out the way that it, it was intended. I actually didn't think it was going to work out that well. I knew that they weren't going to do that. I knew that they were going from you know east to west and west to east. And I I think they're going from like a bedding a larger piece of woods to another large piece of woods, and they're kind of using my woods as a cut through. Um, but attracting them into certain areas, um, keeping them on this little pathway uh, with these blockades to keep them from coming from the neighbors and, and more or less keeping them from going that way and bringing them where I want to is, is improve it. Oh, awesome, man. No, <laughs> and, and sorry for making you kind of 
repeated that because you mentioned it earlier, so sorry about that. But I think it was important no, to, no, fine. to really get the strategy behind that. On, on yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I didn't want to just leave the timber sitter to rot. Right, um, right. So, like Jesse mentioned earlier, Ashburn's great. So we uh, we hauled quite a bit of it out on the four-wheeler, some of the, the logs, and uh, cut a lot of it up with the chainsaws. Um, but we had these tree tops, and, you know, me and a, a friend of mine were sitting up there, and I said, give me a hand. And we started loading these things up and, and putting them over on this trail edge. And uh, between that, you know, we did plant some Norway spruce up there, too, because that those are going to be down two feet in a year. They're just, those brush piles will just settle down. And okay. uh, so we're, we did put, I hinge cut some trees on top of them to just kind of keep it lively, a uh, little bit of life to it and keep it green. Um, and I may have to go back in there and uh, this coming this coming winter and maybe hinge a couple more over it just to keep them blocked in. But it's, it's not really blocking them in, it's more or less blocking them from danger. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, think, uh, I think that's a perfect strategy. I mean, you're... They could walk that way towards your neighbor, but now they kind of have to get around some brush. And if they just stay on your side, there's food, there's water, there's cover. You know, it, it, I, I like the strategy. You know, it, your neighbor's hunting the edge, let him pressure it, and and you are uh, you know, giving the deer everything they, they want on, on your side. So I like that strategy. Yeah, and I, like I said, these trails that I kind of made, um, for stand location-wise, I went in up these, you know, up these creek bottoms, and that's where I decided I was going to put stands. And then from there is where I decided, okay, there should be a food plot here. This would be a great spot for this, or this would be a pretty good spot for some uh, some chestnut trees eventually. I think this would be a good chestnut plot up here, or, you know, and like I said, it's nine acres. It's never going to be utopia. But if it's something that brings them in, draws them around, keeps them on the property for more than five minutes where I can uh, – a bow shot off and that's that's what it's intended for it's working great well i think you just mentioned a, another great point actually that I'd, I'd like to at least touch on um i mean if you can set up your tree stands and your access as the number one step or the very first step you do on a property i think that's the right way to go about it versus going in there making a food plot and then you go oh shoot how am i going to hunt this thing you know, so I think uh, for the listeners out there, I think that's something everybody should consider is how can I get to that tree stand safely? If I can, it's a it's a perfect setup, and then do what you're doing, enhancing all around that stand with the chestnuts and, and the food plots. I mean, that's perfect, man. I love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, the, the, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, that's funny, Jerry, because I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, you know, Say you had a blank piece of 10 acres, like Eric's, or 9 acres, do you develop your trails, food plots, your bedding areas, water holes first? Or should you pick out a few stand locations and access and develop around it? I, I mean, I, I like getting the lo- what you said, the stand locations and the access, but I think a lot of guys do it the other way too, which... I mean, I'm no expert. I don't know what's right or wrong. I think it's more on the property, but yeah. Well, you and I have uh, done it the other way too. You know what I mean? We've we've done it. Yeah. No, we've yeah. all done it. I, I know I've gone in and hey, here's a wide open area in this in this wood plot. I'm going to put a food plot in here, and I'm going to hang a stand right over here on the edge of it, and never think, okay, well, how am I going to get here? And, and then yep. you go in there, and 
you, you don't see what you're thinking you're going to see. You maybe see them on trail camera at night. So you're getting excited. you got these nighttime pictures of deer. And when you get into the stand, you sit and you wait all day and you don't see anything. It's uh, it's kind of discouraging and it kind of makes you, you step back a little bit and go, okay, well, it ain't the deer. Maybe it's me. What, what What's going on here? And uh, definitely trial and error. I mean, I, I'm all for try anything, you know, and, and even if it's wrong, maybe it works once and there you go. But uh, it seems to be working a lot more than just once for me on this property. Um, you know, and I'm not going to say that it's the uh, the best result for every piece of property, but I think that uh, with what I've got going on and what I've seen and the progressions I've taken, it's uh, it's definitely helped me out become a more mature hunter. Um, just in the fact that I'm not, you know, I'm not shooting that first spike that walks by. I'm not shooting the, the first doe I see or, you know, it's kind of, okay, well, I know what my property can produce, and I know that if I don't shoot this deer, there's a there's a chance I'm going to see him again. Yeah. So No, you're 100%. That, Jared, that kind of made me think about our uh, cemetery stand at PJ's farm. <laughs> you know, we, we went in. One in we went too. In. Both of them, man. Yeah, we screwed up. <laughs> We we went in and made this beautiful food plot, picked out a nice tree to hang a set. And I tell you what, Eric, last year during summer velvet, we had, what, 420, 130-inch deer? I mean, just yep. nice block. And you shot a doe out of that stand, but I don't think we saw one buck out of that stand at all. <laughs> no, I know. And, and the problem is, we had to walk right through either the food plot or down the deer trail to get to the stand. And it's like... Yeah, we got to cut, cut through the cemetery next time. Yep. and <laughs> Just yeah. walk out late at night. Those places are spooky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I love it, man. Well, Eric, I've been uh, wanting to ask you. Um, we've been talking a little habitat, but I want to hear about your uh, season last year and these uh, two bucks that you had on camera and then you had successful hunts on? Yeah, so the uh, the first buck I shot was a, an archery. Um, we are, you could get a buck during archery. Uh, it was basically um, doe or either sex for the other tag. And uh, so I was able to take him on my, uh, my either sex tag. Um, he was a tall seven-pointer. Uh, I had him from Velvet. Uh, I had him in Hardhorn, I had him on Mock Scrapes, and he was just kind of one of these bucks that was hanging around. Uh, he was one of the first bucks that I was able to kind of develop a pattern to. Um, and, and by a pattern, it's, uh, you know, you look at it what a buck's home range is, and like I said, I'm a numbers guy, and, and I kind of researched a lot. I've seen a lot where people have had... Uh, uh, collared deer and they say okay it's about a you know their average home range of a buck is a is a square mile and once you throw the rut in there that obviously goes away but um so i harvested him um it was october 17th so it was pre-rut uh he was still in his uh his kind of hard horn habit where he would uh he was coming out, but he was kind of staying back by himself. He was a, a solitude buck at that point. Um, not chasing does. Nothing was really in the heat at that point, but he was kind of doing his routine. And I was able to say, okay, well, if he's on, you know, one square mile, that's 640 acres, how long is it until he passes my uh, my nine acres again? 
Um, yeah. And it, I had it written down, and it was probably a little bit uh, at that time. I, mean, I don't remember where I put it, but I think it was around 22 days that he would come around. And it was like I'd get a trail cam picture of him in the day, and he would hang out on my property for two to three days, and he would kind of mosey on out, and I wouldn't see him for a while. And then, you know, I'd see him again during uh, – once he went to Hardhorn, and I'd see him again in a couple of weeks, and like I said, then uh, October 17th, is, uh, I seen him again on the, we went up to a catch trail cameras, it was, uh, I was actually hunting um, the stand, I got down, checked the trail camera out, had him on camera, and uh, that was the day before, and he was in there early morning. The next afternoon I went out, and I was able to hunt, I kind of scooted out of work early and uh, got to the tree stand and got into it and uh, actually got him on the ground leaving the woods. Um, walking and just kind of, I went back to that same spot to check the trail camera and I had a deer on camera. It looked like him. It may, you know, may have been him, but he had actually passed by me without me seeing him. And uh, it kind of looked out into this, this clearing and I seen some legs and I hit a grunt tube and he came in at 15 yards, and I was able to, to put a double lung on him. Um, and it was great. You know, I was able to get pictures of him. Um, and then during you were out on the ground? I was on the ground, yeah. I was walking. Um, that was a crazy hunt. I uh, I had my release in my uh, – I have one of those, like, front pouches that you – like a hand warmer pouch. Yeah, yeah. Like straps around you like a way. So, you know, I had my gloves off. I had my release off. They were all sitting in there. I went over to check my trail camera and swap card real quick. And uh, real quick, I got these little viewers on my cameras, and, and I, you know, well, hey, I got to just check it out fast, you know. And <laughs> so I was sitting there, you know, clicking buttons away and everything, and I just kind of turned around when I, I heard something kind of snap, and uh, he was actually in the clearing, and he was making a scrape, and he was maybe 20 yards from me, but he was behind these, these trees that are kind of tucked over, so... I hit the grunt tube, and he came into the other side of the trail and made a scrape, and I think he was about 12 yards when I took a shot at him. Oh, my gosh. Wow. wow. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite awesome. Um, really gets your heart pumping, you know, because <laughs> you hear that thwack, and it's it's beautiful sound, you know. Although so you uh, patterned him. Too, you pa- <clears throat> yeah. No, I shot my first deer on the ground, and it's it's something pretty cool. Um, yeah. But so you patterned him, what, from, like, july august and he was coming in every couple weeks or when when did you when did you figure out you know that 20-ish day pattern well he was on a summer he was on a summer thing where he was coming by quite often and he was in velvet and i had him on velvet a couple times and he was there only a handful of times and he was only in one section of my woods which was a uh a food plant like i said it was buckwheat uh winter rye and uh australian winter pea and he was in there munching away, and he, you know, put his head up for the camera, and I got some good pictures of him. Um, and then when he went to Hard Horn, I would go in there, I'd check cameras, and I'm like, God, you know, here, here's a dead seven-pointer again. And I, I sat once, and I seen him, um, and he was actually taking another trail, um, and it, there was nothing that was really going to draw him in. I think he was just kind of on his way to uh, either his own secluded bedding or, or wherever that may be, but I know it's not on my property. Um, and then, I, like I said, I kind of went back a couple weeks and, and 
then I'd say, okay, well, hey, here he is again. And I was able to pattern him probably from, you know, August, September, and then October. And he said, I caught him, I think, two days before I actually shot him, and he was on camera. And he was hanging out at my property between two to four days on my property. Very cool. Uh, and then I did it again um, with a, an <laughs> eight-pointer. And it's weird because this is out of the same exact stand that I uh, was hunting the night that I, sh- I uh, got out of and shot the seven-pointer. Um, this apple orchard, I had a, a nice buck on video, um, eating apples, picking his head up, just doing the whole camera show, awesome-looking buck, uh, just very high, not, not really wide, um, just a cool-looking buck, and just aggressive. Uh, you know, I see him... Uh, there would be another buck that would come in on video and he would, you know, kind of snort, you know, kind of grunt at him a little bit and the other buck would kind of scurry off and he'd sit there and eat his apples. Um, and I hadn't seen him and then it was like, uh, I kind of forgot about him a little bit. All right, well, you know, it's been, you know, almost the 20, 22-day mark. I'm going to go try to sit in that stand. And I actually got him um, on December 5th. So it was post-rut, and he was kind of getting back into his, um, his normal patterns again. Um, I think, you know, he was, the rut here happens, you know, first, probably first two weeks in November is when you start getting that chase phase and the, the heavy rut activity. Um, and he was kind of coming down from that, I, I think, and he was, was I had him back, and he was eating apples. He was eating back out of food plots. So he kind of went back into that. Um, summerish pattern, but not as a bachelor, you know, as a hard-horned buck who wants to be left alone. So he was kind of coming through uh, um, late at night, um, but actually I got him, and it was uh, early morning. And he was kind of walking up one of my trails, and he was going to use that uh, that food plot to get over to the um, the hayfield. So I, I stopped him before I, he was able to make that jump, and it worked out great. Very cool. Yeah. Man, I, I've been dreaming about shooting two bucks and tacking out in Michigan for since I've been hunting and still haven't been able to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it was a, it was awesome. And especially, uh, um, like I said, the first, the seven-pointer I shot him, um, it was in the afternoon, so I didn't recover him till later i wasn't sure how good the shot was he actually died only probably about 35 40 yards from where i hit him um but i didn't want to just go chase him around so i did i wasn't able to like bring my son or my you know my son was in bed when i brought the deer home the next morning like i said our october here was extremely hot it was like i think 65 degrees the next day so i was throwing bags of ice in this thing taking them up to a processor because i didn't have the time to uh to, to butcher them out at that time and then, uh, you know, when I shot this eight-pointer, I was able to bring him home, you know, take some pictures with my son, and, and he's pointing at it, that's a deer, that's a, you know, at the time, and it was awesome. That, that was the best part, you know, just bringing him home. And it, it's, you know, it's just interesting to, to get them into involved in that, you know, where you're going to you're gonna see deer, you're going to see, th- and then you're also going to, you know, with the harvest of it. And introducing them into that type of part of the deer is a little difficult because you're not sure how they're going to take seeing uh, a dead animal. But uh, he handled it pretty well, and I think he understood, you know, this is uh, 
this is something Dad does, and you know he kind of I think wants to take that. Uh, he's going to follow my footsteps, I think, just because of the uh, enthusiasm that he he has that he gives me when I'm out in the woods too. You know. Yeah. Wow, so, man, that's that's really awesome. I uh, I haven't had a season like like that. I mean, that, um, that that's really really successful season, man. Very very glad to hear those stories. Um, and your boy being so excited, I uh. Kind of reminds me, I always tell my girls, whenever we're eating any sort of steak, normally it's venison, could be beef if they're on sale or, or whatever, who knows. I'll tell them right. it's Bucky every time, and then I'll, I'll point up at the the nine point I have uh, over the fireplace. <laughs> I've been doing that for four years now, and uh, they, they get it. They go, we're going to go hunting, Dad, we're going to shoot a Bucky, and we're going to eat him. I'm like, yep, all right. Yep, you there it. you go. So, yeah, I mean, you, like you said, it's just... It, they see you excited. They see how passionate you are and your, your boys and they want to follow in, in those footsteps. So that's, that's freaking awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. One of the uh, the hardest things to do was convince uh, my fiance Michelle, that I was into this kind of stuff. Because when I first met her, she was a vegetarian. And I was like, hey, good luck at this working. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, when she got pregnant, one of those things that she craved was Slim Jims. Out of everything that you could eat in the meat world, she picked these greasy Slim Jims. And when I got this, uh, when I got the seven pointer, and I had to take them up to a processor, they had pepper sticks. And I brought a you know a bag of them home, and I go, hey, try one of these. And she was eating them. And she's like, the next time you get a deer, make it all this. Heck yeah. <laughs> so got got her on board too now, and uh, I tell you, those things are pretty good. So you know, oh, from uh, from the field to the table, it's uh, it's definitely a family thing. Well, that's yeah, another 100%. another success. Jeez, nice work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. You know, it keeps everybody uh, keeps my boys uh, active in the woods. It keeps them off of you know TV time and instead you know instead of just sitting around and doing whatever on TV. I, I don't know if your kids are into it, but my son he started watching the show. It's called Blippy. You ever get a chance to watch that? Pass on that. Um, <laughs> It's it's this guy and he goes to like uh, it's not even amusement parks it's like playgrounds indoor playgrounds and he plays on the toys and and he's like oh come on this is this is fun let's try this and it's like my son could watch that show hours on end and I'm just over here just wishing my eyes would just go blind <laughs> it's like you know okay thank God it's raining because uh, if this was any other time we're getting out of here. Oh my gosh! No, I haven't heard of that one yet. My my girls are on to um, Barbie on on uh, Netflix right now, and and while that all seems fine and dandy, the way these Barbies talk are like. You, you ever heard the term Valley Girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So these cartoons are teaching these kids and and talking like that, and like instead of amazing, they'd be like, "That was amaze." And I'm like, "What oh, yeah. is going on right now?" Yeah, time to take them out into a field, tell them to push deer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. Yeah, I, I mean, it's got, it might boy like, if, you know, if I say, hey, go grab your boots on, he's got these, you know, rubber ducky boots, and it's like, hey, we're just going to go play in the creek even, and uh, flip rocks over and see what's underneath them, you know, and it's just, his, uh, he's never seen some of these things, like crayfish or uh, right. um, sal- salamanders and stuff like that, or these little baby frogs that are jumping around, so I'm, Picking them up and putting them in his hand and showing him things and 
you know, right now everything that flies is a bee, but uh, <laughs> trying to break them out of that. But it's uh, it's definitely interesting, and it's uh, it, it keeps me, I guess, uh, young again. You know, it's like wow, this is this is awesome. Getting them involved and and uh, showing them some things, trying to teach them, uh, you know, way of the woods a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. very cool. Yeah, very cool. I uh, I wanted to ask, but we're kind of running up on time now, covered about all I wanted to cover. Is there anything else that you guys want to cover? Um, and I would definitely like to maybe ask about your trail camera pictures so far this summer uh, as well. So the trail cameras this year, um, I did a total bust. I went up there with my boy, and I did it after daycare where he's kind of uh, not in the best of moods i don't think he napped and i went up there and i set the first camera and i turned it on and i walked away i put a chip in it turned it on perfect and the rest of them i never turned them on i put the chips in them and walked away and i went back there a couple days ago to uh to check them out i did have a nice uh nice buck and velvet a couple i had one um i think he's four on one side and the other side i think he's just a nub. I don't know what's up with him. I think that'd be uh, interesting to see how he pans out. Um, but yes, it's uh, that was just kind of my total backfail. There is, uh, is just I forgot to even turn the things on. I put the chips in them, and that was that, that was totally disheartening. Like you go up to it, and you're like, oh, "Come on, it's got full battery," uh, you know. And you're sitting there like, "Oh man, I'm I'm excited. I, I've seen these bucks in velvet. I've had a couple nice bucks uh, early on." Um, just, you know, they got these, like, pop cans on their heads, you know, they're kind of goofy looking, and you're like, all right, now they're going to start developing, and uh, a buddy of mine, he sent me this awesome eight-pointer, and it's, you know, probably 22 inches wide, oh, massive eight-pointer in velvet, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, now I'm, now I'm getting my heart racing, I got to go up and see what I got, you know, what's what's coming through here, and, uh, yeah, forgot to turn them on. <laughs> yeah, I doubt the person to ever do that, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. they're done that. So if I uh, if I get up there again and I get up there uh, soon, I will uh, I'll definitely post some pictures up and and let you guys know. Heck yeah, for sure. I, it seems like to me I, I've seen more velvet this year early than years past. Um, Jared, you posted that picture of that nice eight point behind my work in June, didn't you? Yeah, that was. Uh, I'm trying to think of when that was. I know that when we have heavy moisture in the spring and maybe somebody can correct me if i'm wrong on this but i think you have a better velvet year or better antler year in general um when you have a a a wet spring and i know it's true for a a light winter but we didn't have a light winter so i may be just spitballing here but maybe that has something to do with it i don't know yeah i'm not i'm not sure i mean there there was a lot of things that varied here. I mean, it was a totally bad year for bow hunting when you look at the temperatures. We never got that big cold snap up here. Um, you know, it was, you know, 60, 70 still in, uh, in in October. And that's prime bow hunting. And you're like, man, you know, the rut is going to be coming up and, and it's going to be shotgun season. So I think maybe that mild front, you know, I don't know if they were still packing on the pounds and weren't able to uh, – with that later rut, they were able to keep some of that weight on. They weren't really beating themselves up that much. Oh, that could be that had too, something yeah. to do with it. You know, I, I kind of had my, my things on it. You know, it was kind of like, because I noticed the same thing. There were some d- big deer. Um, there's a place that I travel by every day. It's called Tiff Nature Preserve, and it's right outside of Buffalo. Um, 
and there are monsters up there. There's like been uh, there'll be pictures in the in the newspaper of like uh, oh up here at the at the nature preserve and it's like a fifteen or sixteen point buck hanging out up there and all these does hanging out and they're right next to the throughway and uh, it's just like wow this is you know that's awesome. But I, I've gone up there recently and I've seen them up there and they're they're full velvet and they were uh, they were quite big uh, you know early May. Yeah, well, we'll have to ask a biologist sometime, but that's, uh, hopefully you keep getting some more nice deer on, on camera when, uh, your camera's on this time, I'd love to see what comes out, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I'll, uh, I'll share some pictures here, um, maybe this coming week, weekend, um, I'll get some pictures of that, uh, that ozone machine area that I got, oh, and, yeah, uh, please. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, congratulations again to you, uh, Jesse, on the uh, the announcement. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, that's, that's uh, awesome. We're hoping for a girl. That way, I can just go in and get snipped and be done. But I'll be <laughs> <out there. laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember saying that too. And then the second one came. It's like, uh, and then it was two boys, and I'm like, I, I definitely done. Two boys will. Uh, you know, the older ones putting worms in the younger ones' pockets. You know, it's just <laughs> you're like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be great here soon. So, yeah. Well, but, Jesse, anything else you want to cover? No, man. I, uh, no, I think we I think we touched it all. It's it's uh, interesting. So I've been up in northern uh, New York, and uh, to me, it's kind of like Michigan, just a little more hillier, but. No, it sounds like you got it going on, Eric, and it sounds like you got good things going. Yeah, I'm actually in uh, western New York, and I think our hunting season here lasts so long because uh, the Bills don't make it to playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, yeah, it was uh, it was great talking with you guys. We'll have to uh, get together again sometime and uh, see how your guys' season works out for you and, and see what things you guys are coming up with on your guys' property. Oh, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd, oh, yeah, we'd for love sure. to man. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, that was a great podcast. And, uh, yeah, keep in touch, buddy. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. It was great being here. Take care, bud. Yep. Bye. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening to Eric from New York this week. I thought it was a pretty sweet podcast. Jess, what do you think? Yeah, man. Eric seemed like a good old boy just like us, you know. Um, seemed... <laughs> It's just funny listening to some of his uh, stories about just getting all happy about checking trail cameras and excited, and because you know I'm the same way. You know, I I think about the habitat and it's like, oh, I shouldn't I shouldn't check this trail camera because I shouldn't walk over there, and but I still always do it because it's <laughs> that mystery, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I know. Uh, I remember last year, you sneaky devil, you checked the trail camera for that stand I shot that doe out of, and there were a bunch of bucks on it you didn't tell me about. Remember that? Yeah, because I knew you were going to hunt it, so I wanted you to be, be surprised. <laughs> and then I, I arrowed that doe, and you're like, oh, man, you shot a big boy, didn't you? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that was it. a good podcast. Eric, I mean, two bucks on nine acres on your, I forgot what it was, two or three and he's already killed a couple of bucks before that. That that dude's got it going on, and uh, you can tell he's just a knowledgeable guy, which you and I are learning from, and, and I hope the listeners are too. So that's the whole point, right? Yeah, I li- yeah, I like his approach, the whole number approach, whether people believe it or not. I mean, there's some truth to it. 
I think. Um, but, you know, when when he was talking about how many bucks were killed in that per square mile game area, I think it was six, and then he did the math to his. I mean, he's <laughs> like, man, I should only see a quarter of a buck a year. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a good good way to stay positive and look at it, you know? Yep. Yeah, sure is. I uh, I was glad we had that. Well, I'll have to put some pictures up of his ozone room too, and uh, and his box and whatnot. But uh, anyways, thank awesome, you all buddy. again for listening. I wanted to just uh, tell you we are coming out with uh, we have some decals now. We have some t-shirts now. I'll post all that good stuff up online. But um, really want to thank the people who've been who've been listening from the beginning. You know, we're, we're getting this thing off the ground. We've had a great start. Uh, getting a lot of downloads and, and some great feedback from people. We'd love it if you'd go online and, and like our stuff, share our stuff, um, you know, subscribe and leave reviews on the podcast app and Stitcher and, and that type of stuff. And and the reason we ask people to do that is because that's how podcasts survive these days. I was doing some research on it, and, and that's the type of stuff we need to, to pop up so others can find us and we can, you know, grow our grow our uh, tribe, if you will, of uh, habitat managers and, and hunters like us. So thanks again. Um, you can listen to our podcast on the Apple Podcast app if you just search Habitat Podcast. You can go to habitatpodcast.com. All of our episodes are on the website there. And you'll also find us very active on our Habitat Podcast Facebook page where you can actually see some of these pictures and put some faces to the names. So thanks again for listening as we try to become better habitat managers.